You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Greetings one, greetings all. I hope you were doing okay in whatever form you are in, whether it's you know, laying in the bed being like, what, a, what am I doing here? Or uh, maybe you're enjoying a nice walk, or maybe you're driving in a car somewhere in which you can, uh, you know, like reflect on the world and just, just so much going on. But we are here talking about independent music because that is still important to so many of us, even though the world has been upended and so many things are very unstable beneath our feet. But I keep on keeping on, you know, I'm not going to let all these uh, crazy obstacles in so many of our lives uh, get in my way because I still feel incredibly passionate about independent music. And I know you do too, because that's what we do. We talk to creators. We talk to people who are putting the music out. We talk to people who are documenting this. I was actually having a discussion with a friend about the kind of the purpose of this podcast. And basically it's an audio zine. That's exactly what it is. And it's doing, putting out these interviews, trying to build a context for these people and trying to, you know, be able to express what it is that these people are doing. That's valuable to the community, to hardcore, to punk, to DIY music in general. So in case you were looking for a manifesto, there it is. <laughs> but this week I have Nate Rebodello which I'm totally butchering his last name, and I apologize, Nate. But uh, we have Nate. He plays in a band called Zabalba, a great hardcore metal band, whatever you want to call them, but they are they are heavy, and they've existed for quite some time. I have known Nate for a while. I can't actually remember when I first met him, but uh, he's done a ton of behind-the-scenes stuff as well. He actually does a great amazing festival called For the Children. Uh, it's done every December where basically you show up to the show, bring an unwrapped toy, and you get in for a discount, and then they donate thousands and thousands of toys to uh, you know communities in need and kids that may not have a Christmas. It's one of the most special things I've ever seen. Um, I just love it when people take the ideas that they have to support the communities around them outside of the walls of your typical show. You know, I, it just, it resonates with me so greatly because I remember, I actually remember the first time that this idea occurred to me, it was actually watching uh, Ensign <laughs> at Showcase Theater in Corona. Uh, Tim Shaw, the vocalist, was talking about how it's great that we're experiencing this awesome live event and, you know, we're all jumping on each other and having fun and, you know, experiencing uh, a lot of the catharsis that happens at a show. But uh, take these feelings, take these actions, take these things that you're passionate about outside of these walls. And uh, that's something that's led me throughout my whole life. And I just love it when I can identify that in others. And Nate is exactly that. He was also a firefighter for a while. So we talk a lot about, about that. But um, yeah, I, are you doing okay? You can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Please do me a favor share the show with somebody who you think would enjoy it because that's the best way that this thing gets out there. Um, you know, I don't do any, uh, any paid marketing for this. I, it's all, it's all word of mouth. And, uh, the fact that I have, you know, thousands and thousands of downloads for, uh, episodes, uh, on a week to week basis really just, it makes me happy. Uh, it's not that I want this show to be, you know, as big as a uh, Joe Rogan or this American life. I don't, I, I don't care to be that. I care to be, in the people's ears who should be listening to this. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, let's just let's just talk to Nate, okay? It's but before we do that, I would be remiss if I did not talk about a unfortunate tragedy. Uh, one of the previous guests in the show and a close friend of mine, his name's Garrett O'Donnell. He uh, was in the or still technically in the band Planes Mistaken for Stars. 
he uh, has unfortunately been diagnosed with stage three throat cancer, I want to say, and I could be completely wrong on the diagnosis, but I know that he is uh, a friend of his, uh, is raising funds for him and his family because it's quite an expensive battle, not only financially, but obviously physically and emotionally. So uh, go to the show notes of this show. I will include a link where you can contribute. I've contributed. So many of my friends have contributed because uh, Garrett is not only a great human being, but uh, you know, incredibly talented musician and probably one of the most unique voices I've ever heard in independent music. So uh, please contribute if you can. Even if it's $5, it does not matter. Uh, contribute to him, and uh, hopefully this will uh, see him through, and we'll be able to uh, you know, celebrate in a couple of years when he is uh, with us, and maybe we can have him as a return guest on the show. So please do that. Go to the show notes. But anyways, here's Nate, and I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over. Just because you and I have both existed in the same, you know, punk and hardcore scene for, I don't know, what feels like 400 years. Uh, I have no, yeah, I have no clue where we first met, but I, I'm going to guess that it's probably obviously affiliated with chain reaction in some way. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I was always, you know, once, you know, I became, you know, aware of you and your contributions to the scene, (laughs) it was, uh, I was always impressed with your, you know, just your hustle, like the fact that you wanted to do things and, you know, cause not everybody, as you well know, has that, uh, drive, you know, <laughs> like they just like to go to shows and that's it. Um, yeah. Where do you think, where do you think that kind of like lies within you, you know, that you, I mean, cause clearly you've done a lot of stuff for so many different people in regards to, you know, hardcore and bands and putting on shows and stuff like that. And especially with for the children, uh, where do you yeah. think that, where do you think that kind of like, I guess, comes from um i think as far as doing shows i started booking shows when i was about 15 about 15 years old i was in high school um and i started out doing shows out in like the ie showcase we used to have a place called ss project and i think as a kid i started booking shows so young that you know it came as the years came on i think i just had not necessarily an obligation but like eagerness to like see bands and like help book bands you know there's times that bands that people never heard of and i was just like oh fuck i like this one or two songs like i want to see it you know and i would end up booking a show for them and it would be you know fucking eight people but it was it was uh i think when i was younger it was just this eagerness to to see bands and that's mainly because when you know when i think the same with you when we first started going to hardcore shows i we you know the, the internet wasn't like you know, we didn't have the internet like we do now where music gets so accessible. Back then, I think you physically had to go see a band to really listen and enjoy, you know, enjoy hardcore music. Now it's a little bit more accessible where you can where you can see shows or you can, you know, just go on Spotify or whatever. But yeah, when I was younger, it was just the drive to see a band, the drive to like hear new music. And, and that was it. Uh, as I got older... Um, I started doing for the children. I want to say, I think we're on like seventh or eighth year. I'm not sure exactly. Sure. Um, I started that simply because I used to work for the fire department and we used to do toys for tots. Um, 
I ended up leaving the fire department to do to tour and play in my band and do what I still do now. Um, a lot of that drive came from that, and you know, a lot of the things I saw, and you know, even growing up as a kid, I was I received toys from different programs, youth programs. You know, I was unfortunate. You know, at, when I was young, I received toys like that. So when I started doing that with the fire department, it kind of lit a spark of like, you know what? For me, Christmas was always such a bitter time because it was just bad memories. Not, you know, bad memories in the sense that I wasn't, you know, what people perceive Christmas to be and movies and, you know, photographs and all this shit, you perceive this Christmas to be such a happy moment. And, you know, for me as a, as a youth, it was a time where, like, I didn't get presents. I didn't, you know. Uh, I didn't have this big family and gatherings and all that. So when I got older, I understood, I understood what it meant to give and how much that means to somebody. So when they started doing that, I was like, you know what? I have the resources to do it. I have a bunch of friends and bands. I have a bunch of people kind of in the same scenario and understanding. It's like, if I have the resource to, resources to do it, why not do it, you know? And it's it's awesome because now there's so many people involved and so many people like care to help and it's 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 invo- it's evolved into a thing that people just expect it to happen and people just expect to give you know and it's and it's it's grown way beyond me you know I have you know I have a, a few partners that partake bands that just like hey man I got a guitar give a guitar to a kid you know right. and it's really cool what what that's turned into you know yeah. Um, and uh, it, it is one of those things, you know. If, every, if, if everybody does a little, we can do a lot. Yeah, you know, and that's a very real statement. <laughs> no, for sure. And I, I think there's something that you know I, I recognize within you and a lot of other people that have that drive. Is you you and this is something I was going to hit later, but it's perfect to bring up now. Where you know the idea of us learning so much within going to hardcore and punk shows and understanding all of the political issues and the ways that we can contribute outside of the walls of these shows, you know, like taking it out beyond just the, you know, two or 300 people at showcase on a, you know, Saturday night or whatever. I always thought that was so incredibly important. And clearly that's something that you've been able to do. Like you said, that, you know, literally taking an idea from the fire department and applying it to a hardcore show. And that's like, I don't think everybody yeah. thinks that way, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I, you know, when it comes out now that I'm older, it's pretty cool to look at like, you know, all my friends are, you know, fairly older now, just, you know, having careers and stuff. And you see so many people in the hardcore community having these jobs and settings and things they learned from the hardcore world, you know, like whether it be photography, themes, writing, you know, I, I got into production simply because I was like at a venue, I'm like, hey, how do I do sound? How do I do this? How do I do lighting, you know? And, it, and it's pretty cool because there's, Hardcore shows have never has never been a corporate thing, and it's always been something that's done by people that have a drive to do it. You know, sure. and whether whatever whatever section that is in in music, they took that and evolved that into be into be something and into being something else. You know, and it's it's really cool, and I'm really proud of the people, you know, that do do things from that evolved to music, and it's uh, it's definitely a, a scenario where it's you know, DIY has, uh, it's very real. It's very, 
you know, sometimes you got to learn the hard way, but you, you do it, you know? Yeah, no, it's very powerful. Um, you know, we'll, we'll hit on more of that a little bit later, but, you know, focusing on you as a person, um, I know that you were, uh, you know, born and raised in kind of the Inland Empire area. Uh, was it specifically in Pomona or wh- where did you kind of come up? I grew up in Riverside. So when I was, when I was born, I was actually born in Montebello. I moved to Mexico, lived in Mexico for, you know, up until uh, grade school and then came to came to the states and I ended up living in Riverside and um and Riverside you know the IE when I was young you know I think it was that that era like the IE East LA was really well known for like punk shows and yep hardcore shows and metal shows and I kind of naturally gravitated to that and um yeah I think you know when I was a kid I was like in Riverside we had you know, we had Showcase, Spanky, The Barn, you know. And then when I even got a little bit older, I started getting involved in, in venues and stuff. But yeah, River, I mean, Riverside and Pomona just was always like a hotbed for, for you know, alternative music. Yeah. I, I think too, I, what I recognize when I started to, you know, go out to shows at, you know, The Barn and, um, you know, Showcase and all that stuff, I, I recognize it's like, oh, yes, it's easier to do shows out there because, you know, spaces are cheaper. You know, there's frankly more space, you know, than Los Angeles or Orange County where it's like, there's more, you know, just random places that you could be like, Oh yeah, I guess we'll do shows here or whatever. So it was, uh, I could see the function of what you're talking about in real life. Where it's like, Oh yeah, we can just do shows here. Yeah. And, and it almost felt like no one, I mean, no one really, there's never really a issue of like, lack of spaces just because someone someone wanted to do it you know someone was like yeah sure you're gonna bring some business to my restaurant bar or whatever yeah sure whatever Let's <laughs> yeah, <do it."> totally <laughs> yeah with them not even knowing what that actually meant it's like oh yeah i can sell some more pizzas or whatever and it's like oh crap what are 200 people doing here <laughs> oh yeah that that uh i thought it was so funny because you know i've done shows at so many venues with the kids and it's always that first show that's always like okay this is gonna be either like get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, that was cool. You know? And, uh, totally. It was always funny to see. It was always crazy and funny to see that reaction from these, you know, businesses and owners and just be like, I, it was very few times we were like, Nope, no way. Never again. But, um, right. Most of the times people were kind of like, that was crazy, but everything's fine. You know, right? So. <laughs> well, yeah, because like you said, it, or it, it's the it's the balance between oh, this is exciting that you know people that we're getting two hundred people to show up on a random Thursday night when I never would have had two hundred people in here. But then, like, as long as they don't punch a hole in the wall or ruin the bathroom too bad, like we we're okay. We can welcome them back. <laughs> oh, dude! I think girl, as a, when I was a kid, I I learned how to patch holes and paint walls so quick. <laughs> That's amazing. You're like at the after the cleanup, you're like, don't worry about, it, don't worry about it. Like the show's over. Uh, you know, just give me an hour. Everything will look beautiful. Yeah, it happens so many times, and they're like, all right, as long as you fix it. That's so good. I love that. Um, and so, what what was your uh, you know, since you were kind of moving around a lot as a kid, you know, what was your family structure like? Were you know, like mom and dad with you as you were you know, kind of traveling to these places, or you know, was it uh, you know, what did it look like? When I, when I was a kid, you know, you know, obviously my, my mom was smart and came to the States and had me here. <laughs> yep. um, she was, uh, she ended up going to, she, she's from Mexico. She grew up in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And um, she had me in the States and then, you know, she ended up going 
she was going to school in Mexico in Guadalajara. So, you know, that's where I was living for a while. And while I was living there, um, obviously she met a guy, had me, um, had a couple of sisters. And I think as soon as she left Mexico, that's kind of the set the, the point where her and my father split up and he obviously stayed in Mexico and me and my mother and my sisters came to the States. Um, ever since then, you know, I've, I've never spoken to my father. Um, I met him once. I was so young when they split up. I really didn't remember him Sure. Um, to the point that, you know, that it, it doesn't, it didn't seem like a factor that I ever cared for, you know? Um, but I did end up meeting him once later on, um, when I was a teenager and it was just fucking weird. I was just like, yeah, I don't need it. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. But, um, but yeah, my mom went to school down there and, you know, obviously after she finished college, she ended up coming back to the States. Like that's, you know, the IE Riverside, you know, back in the day, that was like the place where, you know, we couldn't afford to live in LA or Orange County. That's, you know, out of the suburbs, everybody ended up moving to, to Riverside where you can actually kind of afford a home or something, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it was cool. It was cool. I, you know, I ended up, uh, liking Riverside, but it was also a place where, you know, it was kind of, it was fucking chaos. Those, sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. You were, you were, uh, you're, I was just going to say you were the, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, being brought up by, you know, a single mom and, you know, coming to America and like all of these things. And she has to, you know, take care of obviously the house and make sure you guys are fed and all this other stuff. It's like, that's a, a lot to take on. Yeah. And I was, I was the oldest, I'm the oldest of, of uh, three kids and, um, I think now, now that I'm older, I was able to, I'm able to appreciate what my mother did and kind of understanding like, fuck, that that was not an easy job, you know? Um, as a kid, you know, I think that's why I gravitated to punk and harp and music so much was because I didn't have a, like a structured home. I didn't have a big family. I didn't have those things that like I felt comfortable with, you know? So, you know, I met so many people in punk and hardcore and like every weekend, I, that's all I want. That's all I gave a fuck about. That's all I wanted to do was just like to get away and go see a show. And that became, that became my family. Like as cliche as it sounds, but you know, the kid, the people that I knew when I was 15, 14, going to showcase theater, I still know them now, you know? Yeah. It's your community. Um, yeah. So in, in, I guess in a, in a weird way to say it, but it, you know, hardcore music did, did almost save my life. You know, like a, it's, it gave me a home. It gave me a place to go. And, um, you know, my childhood wasn't, wasn't the easiest. It was fairly dark. And I, you know, I, I went into these crazy loopholes of just kind of questioning, wondering why my life was this, why I was poor, why I couldn't have that, you know? And I, I didn't comprehend it until, you know, now that I'm, you know, 32 years old that, oh, shit, shit costs money, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so now that I'm older, uh, I do, I, my mother is a goddamn fucking, she's a champion, you know? Yeah. You know, to, to work multiple jobs, raise three kids, you know, pushes all to go to college and all that, you know, it, it was it's a, it's a level of commitment, a level of love that I, I still don't comprehend how someone does that, you know? 
Band merch is incredibly important to me. And I know it's important to many of us. And if you have not visited rockabilia.com, you are doing yourself a great disservice. So first off, go to the website. Second off, put a bunch of stuff in your cart. And third off, use this promo code. It gets you 15% off of your order. PC 100 words. That is a specific code for this show that gets you that massive discount. And they have over half a million items. They have everything you could possibly ever want from so many different bands. It's all officially licensed, high-quality stuff. This isn't some horrific bootleg that you uh, you know buy off of uh, eBay and then you wash it once and then you're just like, oh man, now I've got a black t-shirt with uh, no ink on it and uh, yeah, I feel like an idiot. I, it's happened to me before, so don't feel bad. But solve that problem by going to rockabilia.com using the code PC100Words, and supporting a small independent business. This, These guys have been doing it for 20 plus years. They are just, it, it warms my heart in so many different ways. So please support the supportive and go to rockabilly.com and use that code PC100Words to let them know that the show sent you, okay? Buy some merch. Well, and I think I think to your point too of what you're talking about with, with the idea of like giving back to not only like, the community, but, you know, getting involved how you have within punk and hardcore, um, you know, uh, you essentially feel like you need to pay back what you've been given. You know, you found this community with a bunch of weirdos going into sweaty rooms. And then you're like, I want to do this for other people as well, whether or not you can actually articulate that, you know, you're just thinking like, Oh yeah, I want to do this show. But like that feeling of giving back and what you've taken from it, you know, again, not everybody feels. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think it's different for people. For me, it's definitely it's. It almost feels like an obligation. Like, if if I'm able to do it, it's just why not do it, you know? And you know, a lot of the times, it's like you know those simple gestures of kindness can like, you know, can make someone you know Christmas, you know, whatever. Whether it's you know, it could be a horrible fucking year, and this kind gesture of just receiving gifts can make you know can make it better for them you know whatever the case is you know yeah um for me it's turned it's turned into this thing where like i you know as far as christmas goes i didn't really get gifts as a kid so i never really cared for it and i still don't but now it's just like you know i am very fortunate to have a life have you know have a home have a family um i'm very fortunate to be you know be okay so and you know a lot of the times okay for some, you know, for some people, it's not even, it's not even, you know, it's, they're not even at that point, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's hard to see it from, you know, from the perspective of being in that place and not, you know, sometimes feeling a little, you know, a little bit like, what can I do to help people? And, and a lot of the times they eat away just because it's like, fuck, I wish I, you know, I, I wish I, I knew how to take care of all these issues. I don't, but, but the, the, you know, the point is being is that if I'm able to do something to help, just fucking do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, thankfully over the years, more and more people have gotten involved and, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, from uh, all of our interactions, you've always struck me as a guy that, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're friendly. You're like, you're not exceptionally outgoing in the sense of you're like, 
oh, you know, there's Nate, there's the loud mouth dude, you know, even though you obviously can't get loud mouthed, um, but you know, how, like kind of, how were you as a kid, you know, were you like the, you know, the class clown in your, you know, whatever junior high, high school and stuff like that? Or, you know, what sort of identity did you uh, have then? Um, I want to say I was fairly shy for the most part. I was fairly like, uh, you know, I had a, I had a very diverse group of friends in high school because then, you know, I liked punk. So I hung out with all the punk kids. I also played, you know, I played sports. I wrestled, you know, in high school. And um, so I was a little bit of a diverse person. But that being said, I kind of always just kind of kept to myself, you know, and, and it's crazy, you know, years later. You know, a lot of friends or people that went to high school that, you know, weren't involved in, like, going to shows and punk. They're like, wait, that's what you do? Like, you play in a band? <laughs> and <laughs> sure. they're like, I thought, like, you know, it's, it's funny because I was so quiet into myself that people just never realized that, like, even in high school, I played in bands. They're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you wrestle all week and then you're playing in a, in a band on the weekends? And it was... uh it was, it was kind of a shock to some people, you know. And even now, even nowadays in my professional, my professional life, I, I still kind of keep to myself. And um, and uh, you know, not obviously not on purpose or trying to hide anything. It's just that's who you are. You know, I think for me, that's how I am. Like if I if I want to have interactions with people or like you know build some kind of friendship, um, I definitely, for me personally, I definitely need to make an effort to do that. And, um, you know, I've made it a point to like, Hey, like, Hey, how you doing? I'm Nate, you know, whereas, you know, there's times in my life where like, I just wouldn't say shit to people. you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'll, I'll be that guy in the corner. It's fine. I'm just doing my own thing over here. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, so were you into, um, you know, like, did you care about school? Were you into sports? Like, you know, where, where did you start to, you know, I mean, I know you obviously found your identity in music, but you know, before that was happening, what were you kind of sampling out? Um, yeah, school, you know, it's crazy. I, I grew up with a mother who's ex- extremely strict. Um, you know, coming to, coming to America, was like, Hey, you got the American dream. And as a Latino, the only way to, you know, reach the American dream, you know, they painted this picture. like, you have to go to college. You have to do this, you know? Um, so yeah, as far as schooling goes, I, you know, I had a mother that, you know, was constantly on top of me about school constantly like dude you know if i got bad grades dude i would i would not fucking hear the end of it you know right um so uh, so it was was a weird balance because i was like i wanted i was like the worst student but the best student so like you know i would skip school all the time to go to shows but you know i always got really good grades because you know in my house is like, fuck, if I didn't get good grades, I get fucking my ass beat. <laughs> so, right. Um, <laughs> there's a motivation so beyond it, the, just the actual getting yeah. of an A. It's like, Oh dude, I, I, I for sure, I'm not going to get beaten by my mother. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so there was this, yeah. So there's a structure where was like, you know, I was, I was very, you know, there's a structure in my house and my, you know, my life that like, you know, you have to push to do better. You have to get good grades. You have to, you have to do these things to be able to, you know, to be able to make it, you know, in life, you know, like I didn't grow up in a, in a wealthy family or something. So, hey, you know, when you're done, you're going to get this house or get this car. There's none of that shit, you know? Yeah. So I, I was, it was very engraved into my head that, like, whatever you want in life, whatever you want to do, you have to fucking work hard for it and you have to go to school and you have to finish. 
Right. And uh, and I and I did. I did. You know, after after school, I went to Chelsea Tarantino. Um, ended up going into fire department, and uh, you know, and I, and I did it. And I think uh, I think for for a long time, you know, with school being such an important part in my in my mother's eyes that she was kind of upset with me when I started to kind of leaving everything to just tour and be in a band. And uh, for a long time, she was kind of like, she was very disappointed in the fact that like, you know, I didn't continue on with my career in college or, you know, I, I finished college with my bachelor's and I, I did nothing with it. And after that, I went into the fire department and I was like, ah, fuck this, I'm going to go to her. Right. So for a good amount of so for a good amount of time, she didn't comprehend it. So like, you know, now, you know, over a decade later, I'm like, you know, my mom, I explained to her, I was like, dude, I did school because I wanted to make you proud. I did that stuff because, you know, you believe this was the only way out. I found a different portion of life where I found happiness and comfort, you know, where like, you know, sure, I, I don't make a million dollars and I don't give a fuck to, but, you know, what I've done in the past decade of traveling around the world and, you know, my job now is, you know, working with the music. And she, now she's like, she understands it and she gets it. And she's like, yeah, that's so fucking cool, you know? And she took her, you know, before, before, you know, up until the last couple of years, she never went outside of California and Mexico, you know? So she's like in awe of all the shit that I've done, you know? Sometimes she's like, oh, you're, are you a rock star? I'm like, no, mom, I'm just <laughs> I'm playing a band that was fucking people like somewhere else in the world, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, nowadays she, she gets it, but, uh, you know, going from that, you, you know, going from a very structured household where you're, where school was like the end of all to now it's, you know, it took your time to understand it. But yeah, as far as, you know, as far as when I was younger, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was everything, you know, to her, it was everything, you know, and, and when I was younger, I was like, oh, you know, who cares, you know, like whatever, you know, but now that I'm older, I understand that how hard she had to work for me to be where I'm at, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Well, the, the perspective uh, of hers was like, there's only one path, you know, and that is, you know, going to school, getting an education. And then at that point you take the next steps to, you know, be successful, whatever that may mean. But you know, when you, when you're going on this weird path to her, where it's just like, what do you mean? Like playing in bands and like, this doesn't like, no, like no, no one I know has ever done this. Like I can't allow my son to do this or I'm disappointed that, you know, he's taking these choices th- that have nothing to do with his education. So I totally, you know, like you said, you can see that and you can understand why your mom was like, Nate, you are a failure. <laughs> Not like she said yeah. that, but you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know that's crazy. I think I think it was up until, you know, obviously my the band that actually toured Shabala, she never saw my band up until like I think I want to say it was like two years ago. Okay. So she went over a de- she went over a decade without seeing my band, until you know I was like, yo, mom, come watch come watch what I do. You know, like right. can, she always saw videos and flyers and all that shit and pictures. But like, yo, come watch this show, and she was like, that was so cool. You know, she was like. It was so cool to like have my whole family watch, watch, uh, watch our band, you know, it was, uh, it was yeah. a cool experience, you know, for, sure. for her to be like, you know, I, you know, this is what I do. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, but it's, it's taken me a lot of places, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it, 
it's able to put it in perspective in real terms to, you know, her and your family where it's like, you know, these 300 kids that are showing up to watch you play like they, that's undeniable, you know, like, like this is yeah. proof to, wow. Okay. I guess people care about you yelling into a mic, Nate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> was, after, after, I'm trying to think. We actually, was, uh, we played a show. It was us in behemoth at the Fox theater. So I think it was sold out like 5,000 people. Oh, sure. So I was like the show that I was like, I was like, oh yeah, you, you can come to this one, you know, because you know we know it'll be good. Been to Sobaba, <laughs> yeah, because I was like, okay, my mom, my mom, my family's gonna be safe because you know most Sobaba shows are just kind of fucking chaos. <laughs> so like, okay, this one was like, you know, there's seating and stuff. Right, there's a green room. <laughs> we could put them somewhere. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, right, I'm sick of that show. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not gonna, you know, I mean, obviously the showcase theater didn't exist, but it's like, yeah, bringing bringing parents to the showcase theater, it's like they have to eat at Honey's for like four hours before you play, and other than that, there's nowhere that they can be. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Was, yeah, when I was a kid, it was, some of our first shows were at showcase. Yep, and it was funny. So the the reason I was able to go to shows a lot of times, you know, when I was like, I, I started going super young. I think I was like, you know, fourteen years old, and you know. That time of showcase era was just fucking crazy, and you know at that time I remember uh, what was it like Face Down Records and all the oh, Christian yeah. metalcore bands, yep, and like hardcore bands. Like that was like it was like that time was kind of running simultaneously with the punk show. So I'd always be like, oh, I'm going to like, a Christian show. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, okay, okay, yeah, go. That's fine, you know. And you know that that was kind of my gimmick for a couple of years to be like yeah, to be super show, young yeah. and to go to these shows. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I love yeah. I love that. Yeah, any any way you can kind of make your family feel safe to the thing of what you're doing, where it's just like, oh yeah, like you know, it's it's essentially kind of like church, except there's live bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was so young that she just didn't call. You know, I think I don't even think she knew what the fuck punk was. You know, I think she was just like, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, I was like, it's a Christian band, mom. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we're we're safe. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna do a prayer circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What? How, how did you even get uh, you know uh, exposed to that in the first place? I mean, because like you said, you know, you're the oldest sibling, and usually, you know, um, not usually, but there are times in which you know older siblings show music to younger siblings, and you know, kind of start to take them to their first shows. Did you just kind of discover it, you know, as you were in high school, and some of your friends were doing it, or how did you get discover it? So I think I was I was actually in middle school. I was in middle school, and you know, I think that was the, that was the time when like smash and epitaph records was fucking blowing up you know so like you know all the early on like victory record stuff epitaph and as a kid we used to skateboard and we used to get those uh epitaph and like hellcat records and all that stuff we used to have those compilations oh yeah so in in middle school we got into that's the time when i started to start getting into punk music and that whole era of stuff um and then from that point you know the showcase used to do these, those, remember those showcase showdowns? Oh, dude, like the biggest scam, dude. but yeah. Oh, so <laughs> bad. The, the biggest scam and, and teenage kids bought into it. For sure. So I remember. Absolutely. I, it's so fun. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause yeah, I for sure participated in two of them and it was just like, yeah. once you actually figured out the structure of it, you're like, wait, we are getting absolutely ripped off here. <laughs> dude, all the time. But, but so my, you know, we had a band in middle school and then even, even into high school and we used to always play these, we used to always play these like showcase showdowns 
and then uh obviously like we'd always bring all our friends and, and we ended up getting getting invited to shows and stuff um at that time in my life all i really knew about alternative music was punk you know sure well you know at that time like you know i loved you know i loved shit like the addicts and like fucking casualties and you know subhumans used to play a showcase all the time and then i like i loved like the whole epitaph epitaph side of like you know i love like mill and colin and shit like that oh, and, hell yeah. uh, you know 10 foot pole, 10 foot pole and all that early era stuff but um so i remember i saw I want to say I saw H2O and they played with the, they played with that band over my dead body. And, you know, when I saw over my dead body, they, you know, it was a very obviously like straighted, very like different to what the rest of the lineup was. Cause it was like H2O, Bayside, a 10 foot pole. And then over my dead body opening up. And, um, that was kind of like, fuck, this is rad, you know? And I really, really de- like dove into that band. I fucking loved it. And then like, I kind of looked at the catalog of what those dudes did, like Unbroken and uh, what was the, his other band? Built, was it, was it uh, Palpatine? Built to Last, I think. Yeah, pa- Palpatine. No, the-, <laughs> the only reason, the, yeah. only reason, the only reason I selfishly mentioned Palpatine is I put out their seven inch and then Over My Dead Body blew up and they broke up. <laughs> yes, yes. So I kind of dug into that, but the thing is that at that time, unless you went to shows, you didn't know what, what hardcore shows were. And uh, so when I was a kid, you know, obviously my mother worked all the time, and I couldn't, I you know, she had to have me somewhere. So like after school, I stayed at the after school programs or like the after school YMCA programs, and this was in middle school. And uh, I met a, a buddy of mine who actually worked for the YMCA. And uh, his name was John. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck? You have an over my dead body shirt? And I was like, yeah, man. Like, I love it. I just saw this band. They're still rad. He's like, oh, do you like hardcore? I was like, I like punk. He's <laughs> yeah. Like, but do you like, he's like, do you like hardcore music? And I was like, I don't know what that is. I was like, I guess. Yeah. I like, I like over my dead body. You know, like, you know, at that time, you know, I was just like, yeah, sure. And my buddy, John, who's obviously older, he was, he was an adult. He's like, oh, dude, that's awesome, man. And he would just kind of give me records. And he made me all these compilation CDs and stuff. I think one of the first ones he gave me was like a, uh, like a, you know, a bunch of burnt disc and vinyl. But he put a bunch of shit on there from like, I think at that time, it was like Kill Your Idols, one, one with like Champion. Nice. Just a, like all the Indecision records, like kind of like stuff. He showed me all that. And when I got into high school, I still ended up, you know, continued, you know, I actually ended up con- started to work with the YMCA and kind of built a relationship with my friend John. And my freshman year at high school, you know, he'd just be like, he he knew my mother because, you know, he would pick us up to take us to school or drop us off from school. And he'd just be like, hey, man, like, you know, you want to go to the show? And he, my mom's like, yeah, sure, you want to go. So it was, it was cool because, like, at that time, you know, there was this like huge, you know, at least in Riverside, there was like a group of people. There's like you know the Corona kids, there's like Chino kids, the Pomona kids, and all those older dudes kind of all hung out together. So I would go to these shows and meet these older dudes. I would just say, hey, like you know, like yeah, sure, I'll do your ride. No worries, but, you know, no worries, bud. Um, and you know, so I just got involved with that. Just kind of like, luckily, I was fortunate enough for like you know these friends I made and John that would just 
kind of take me under their wing and just show me music and take me to shows. And, and at one point, the YMC we worked at, we had this empty warehouse that was just sitting there. And then John's like, hey, like, what do you think we did shows? Like, you want to do, like, do some shows? And I was like, what? I was like, hell yeah. That's so, amazing. <clears throat> so we, at the, at the YMCA, a gymnastics room, they, like the floor was all padded and shit. It was funny. We ended up booking the two first shows we booked. So the first one was Knife Fight, Mother Speed. Um, who else was on it? I can't move it, I think. That was the first show. And then the second show was a show with my buddy Scott, who played with Shabal as well. He's like, you know, I ended up making friends in all these cities. And he's like, hey, like, let's book this, uh, this, a bunch of bands. Like, you know, I think at the time I wanted to say it was like Shook Ones, Sinking Ships. Um, I can't remember. It was like a plethora of bands. Like a bunch, I think all the rivalry record bands were like, in the sure. early 2000s, mid-2000s were like doing well. Sure. So we ended up booking this like little, this fest called, it originally was supposed to call Chino Fest. But because the, those dudes didn't have a place to do in Chino, we called it Not So Chino Fest. <laughs> and it was just like 10 bands, booked this fest. And that's, that's actually where SOS booking started. You know, we, this place that we called it the SOS Project. Um, and, <laughs> and from there, you know, I just... You just kept doing it. Yeah. At, I I've never stopped booking shows since that 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 moment, you know. That's incredible. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's how I got involved in the music side of things, you know. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously we've known each other for music for a long time, and same way that I've met everybody else, you know, just being at shows and then you know. Yeah. I think. Uh, well, I think the more the it's like you know the people that stick around are obviously the ones that you know get really involved, uh, whatever that may mean. Whether that's them putting on shows, you know, putting out records, you know, taking photos, whatever it is. Like the more involved you are, the you know, frankly, the longer you stick around, and the more people you obviously get to know. You know, older, younger, because you know, I mean, I'm 39. You're you know in your early 30s, so generationally speaking, we're of different quote unquote generations. You know, hardcore speaking, yeah. um, but it's like it, you know. The, you don't feel like that once you hit, you know, in your late twenties, it's like, Oh, everyone feels like the same age. Cause we've been doing this for like 10 plus years, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it, it, yeah. It, it's really, yeah, it's, it, it's just a funny notion. Um, I was going to, you know, uh, talk to you about your, because I know that, like you mentioned, you were a, a firefighter for years. And like you said, after you graduated, um, you know, college, that was, you know, your next logic, well, not logical step, your next step. Um, but w- what kind of drew you to that? Because, I mean, clearly that's an intense profession um, and, you know, not something to be taken lightly. Uh, you know, how did, how did you kind yeah. of like get into that? Um, so I always, I, even in high school, college, I fucking hated school. I still fucking hate school. Sure. I only did it because my, my mother was just always on my ass about it. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I, like, I really do want, I want to do something different. And, you know, this is, a, this is you know, a couple of years after, after 9-11. And I was just like, fuck, like, I would love to, like, I would love to do that. Like, you know, you see, you see firefighters, like, dude, like, that's the coolest fucking job. That's the coolest, most humbling thing that anybody can ever do. Um, where I grew up in Brewside, I lived a block from a fire station. And um, my senior year of high school, they had, you know, like the fire explorer program and stuff. And I always kind of just went, you know, when I was in college, I was just like, hey, man, like, how do I get involved? Like, how do I, like, how do I do this, you know? 
And the first couple of times, like, oh, just come to the meetings. Um, and me not understanding what it is to, like, become a firefighter. You know, you go to fireside school, you go to EMT school, paramedic school, all that stuff. Um, I was just kept, you know, I just kept showing month to month. And they're like, it was like, you know, I remember the guy that was in charge of, like, the volunteer program was his name of Ian. And he's like, hey, man, is this, like, something you want to do? I'm like, yeah, that's why the fuck I'm here. <laughs> um, and he actually took me under his wing and it was awesome. He was like, all right, man, this is what you have to do, you know, A, B, C, to get to get into this. And um, it was really cool because, you know, I was doing this at the same time I was going to college because I was just, I did college just because I had to fucking do it. Um, but I really, I really gravitated to the fire, to, you know, firefighting. And so, you know, I think, it was, you know, sometimes the one thing I did learn from that, from that portion of my life is that, you know, if I do want to do something with my life, it's just, I just got to fucking knock on the door and ask, you know, and just try. And that's what I did, you know, and I uh, thankfully, uh, you know, the fire departments, you know, you know, the firefighters are naturally just very educated, very friendly and very humble people were in the sense that like, you know, I'd show up to the station and I started as a volunteer. They sent me to like a fire academy and then I went to EMT school and all that. Anytime you're there at the station, you're just like, you know, I would just sit there and ask questions like, how do I do this? How do I do that? How can I do better than this? And it's it's a profession where they want, it's not a profession where they withhold information. It's a profession where like, they want you to know all these things, all this information, because it's what's going to save your life or save another person's life. Um, so I kept doing that. I ended up working as a seasonal firefighter and I did that until I did that for four years and I, I loved it, but this was also the same time where Sabalba started, you know, yeah, you start touring a ton. And, yeah. We started playing shows and touring. It got to the point where getting tours offered where I physically couldn't do both things. And I was just like, well, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a year off and just go on tour. Cause it's like a life dream. We got offered Europe and I was like, fuck, it's like a life dream to go to Europe. You know, I've never been to Europe. Um, all right, I was going to take a year off and then come back. <laughs> and I just never came back. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Usually, usually those like, Oh, I'll go back to college or whatever. And it's just like, well, Oh no, some other opportunities open up. So yeah, but that's honestly, yeah. I mean, you, you being a firefighter and hearing, you know, your um, kind of ethics and your story, it makes total sense because you were obviously that community aspect that, you know, sort of giving back aspect of what you is important to you is clearly replicated in being a firefighter. You know, you are of service to the people in your community and literally trying to help them and being these first responders. So like, I get why you enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I love it. It's a great, you know, it's a great gig. You know, I, unfortunately they don't, they don't get paid what they're deserving of, you know, sometimes that's the hard part to swallow. It's like, you know, I mean, obviously the current state we're in, I was like, dude, some, some of these cops are getting fucking paid more than firemen. And I was like, dude, they, they have to go through. Yeah, they do so much more. Training, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm like, how the, I don't get it. I, I don't comprehend it, you know? Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I guess it is what it is. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that's going to change, you know? Yep. I hope so. For sure. Well, it's the same argument of uh, teachers, you know, it's just like, yeah, teachers should get paid as much as like doctors and lawyers or whatever. It's like, no, we're going to give them $40,000 a year. It's like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? <laughs> that, that, like, honestly, that blows, like, <laughs> yeah, I guess going back to the same thing, it's like, 
how how are you going to justify paying a teacher that much? Yeah, it's like the like you know the amount of schooling and training and stuff they have to go and and information they have to retain to teach kids. It's like, dude, how do you justify justify starting them off at forty thousand dollars? You know, like yeah, it's come just, on, it's terrible. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so kind of, you know, as you, like, like you mentioned, you know, when you were doing shows and, you know, starting SOS booking, um, you, uh, it clearly like Zabalba isn't your first band from that perspective. You played in probably, you know, bands before that, but obviously like didn't do anything in the same level as Zabalba. Yeah. What were, uh, what were some of your, uh, your, your first, uh, musical projects that were probably obviously pretty terrible? <laughs> so, so the band before Zabalba, <clears throat> it was actually three of the members of Zabalba. Uh, we used to play the band called Out of Heart. That was more of the like, you know, at that time, at that time when we did that band, all I listened to, I like, I loved like bands like Stay Gold and Faded Gray. Oh yeah, and that whole like that whole indecision catalog. Like, so that was like that was more of that kind of feel for a band. We did that when we were in high school, and then, you know, I think at the same time we're all we're all super into like disembodied and unbroken. And we obviously grew up watching like Martyr AD and Throwdown and that that era of, of music. And at that time when we started Sabala, it was during that time where like there wasn't that many bands like that, you know? It was all, you know, at that time all I remember was like, you know, champion, you know, like the whole like rivalry records type of bands like yeah, I'm a lot. It's like melodic, melodic kind of yeah, melodic old school. And it's funny, just yeah. you, you mentioning Faded Gray. You know, Lance is a firefighter, the vocalist, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just it's funny because like you, uh, him, and then uh, George Pettit, the vocalist from Alexis on Fire. Uh, he's also a firefighter, and it's just interesting because awesome. and also and I know Andy, uh, Andy from Die Hard Youth. He's a firefighter, so it's just so interesting that so many yes. people from hardcore where it's like, you know, you very rarely hear, you know, hardcore kids being like, man, I can't wait to become a cop. Like that doesn't happen. Whereas firefighters is more, more way more popular. Yeah. yeah it's, way, it's a way cooler job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, but sorry, go, you, you were, you're into the melodic <laughs> hardcore side of things. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we went, we went, you know, like at that time we were, we played in a band called that heart. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I love, there's no bands like at the, at the you know, at that time to play, you know, all those, you know, heavier bands kind of like stopped playing and like there wasn't a disembodied, there wasn't a Marjorie B. They were like, you know, like a more metal, simple turf style band. Like, fuck, we're going to be like, let's do something heavy. And that's how that started. And, uh, but yeah, before that, I think Out of Heart, I played. I played in a band called Rome in like middle school, freshman year, high school. And that was more like, uh, I think, I think that was more straight up, just like, like early, like under oath, like, uh, snap. All we listened to was like under oath, snap case, refuse, very like melodic and artsy and shit. That's that's funny. (laughs) But, uh, but, uh, yeah, that was like, that was my first style of band. Uh, obviously, I don't even I don't even think we have recordings, but it was horrible. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah, your first band should be. <laughs> it was it was bad, but that, that was the band that we would like. We would actually play like showcase showdown and stuff with all the time, and uh, and yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, but so, I mean, for for all intent and purposes, like Zabalba is obviously your most uh, you know serious. Like you know, you you got out there and obviously put out records and toured and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of, you know, what you were talking about in regards to, you know, uh, taking a year off and, you know, pursuing touring and stuff like that. And, you know, once Zabalba had, uh, you know, a, a foothold within the context of people actually caring about what you were doing musically, um, was it, uh, I guess, was it weird for you to have people, I guess, pay attention to your band and, you know, because you sing in the band, like kind of took that, um, you know, sort of center stage, like all of a sudden people knew you as Nate from Zabalba as opposed to this kid who just, you know, put on shows or whatever. Was it hard to kind of uh, adjust to that uh, attention or was it like, uh, you know, it's okay. I was able to manage it. Um, it was weird. Um, but not weird because of like, uh, like, you know, the, the attention or just like, I think I'm a fairly friendly person. I think from an outside perspective, I could, I could come off as standoffish, but I think once you come in close range with me, I'm like, Hey, how you doing? man? I'm like pretty easy going. So as far as like, you know, attention, I, it's, it's fine, but it was more of a, it was more of just like weird for us to travel and play in a band. So it right. wasn't weird. The attention wasn't weird, but the fact that we were there, it was weird. You know, like to me, it was kind of, it was so, it was so surreal. Sure. Because everybody in the band, everybody in the band before we played in Sabalba, none of us ever traveled. None of us ever left, you know, besides going to our, you know, Mexico or like our drummers from El Salvador, El Salvador, none of us ever left California. So for us, the, the tension was weird simply because it was so fucking weird and surreal to be playing in a different state, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to different countries, I was like, this is, this is weird. Yeah. You're like, this doesn't you know? make sense it, at all. It was a culture shock and, and it was a culture shock. That's the best way to describe it. It was a culture shock. And it was just like the tension kind of, the tension was just like, whoa, you know, like, cool. We're stoked that people like it. But for us, this is like, this is way different than we've ever, you know, I remember the first time we flew, the first time we played a show outside of California that we flew to was this is hardcore. And it was funny because the three of the members at the time from Shababa have never flown. <laughs> so we're like, that, that was a fucking trip. We're like, I remember looking at a guitar player, Jensen at the time. He's just like, dude, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> That's so, well, I mean, honestly, like it's, it, it, I appreciate you expressing that because I think it is interesting where, you know, you, uh, you know, clearly the band and obviously all its members, you know, Hispanic, like that whole culture is obviously seeped through the band and, you know, you make no secret about that. And like you said, the notion of like, oh yeah, you know, because most of us have come from, you know, families with lower socioeconomic means, you know, we weren't traveling. <laughs> so the idea that my yeah. dumb hardcore band can put us on a plane makes no sense. Yeah. It, I was like, what? Yeah. It made no sense, but we, we definitely made an effort to do it because we're like, for us, we're like, yo, this is such a cool experience and cool, cool feeling that people are like, Oh fuck, you want to see my band where? <laughs> like I think some of the first shows we played outside was like, yeah it was like Lose Hard was the first show we ever flew to, and I think it was like you know Washington and like Salt Lake City and we're just like, well someone wants to see the Salt Lake City hell yeah let's go you know right <laughs> so eager to so eager to go anywhere and everywhere you know it didn't matter where it was right right um and, and did you you know as you started to get out there and you know 
people were paying attention to you. Um, you know, did you feel that, uh, I wouldn't even say responsibility, but you know, because, uh, you know, hardcore is obviously, I mean, less so now, but is still dominated by, you know, white people and that whole, uh, notion that, you know, it just matches, uh, what I guess society at large is, um, you know, as far as being a white dominated thing, did you feel any sense of responsibility? Not, and again, I use responsibility and maybe air quotes that, you know, people were looking at you guys and being like, Oh, like this is cool. This doesn't, this isn't just, you know, four or five white dudes on stage again. Like this is something that is a little bit, you know, uh, different or quote unquote outside the ordinary. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say obligated. Right. To do so but we did it with a sense of pride, you know, like we did it as a like, yo, you know, what's up? You know, we're Shabala, we're from fucking LA or a bunch of Brown dudes playing music. And we did that with such, we did that with eagerness and, and, and pride. We were eager to represent who we were and where we're from and what we do. And, um, not yet. I, I would say more, more pride than an actual obligation. Um, obviously that being said, it was, it was also strange to go to parts of the world where they're like, what the hell? Like, you know, everybody expects like a, a metal or a hardcore band to look a certain way. And then we show up and they're like, you know, kind of like, what kind of weird, not weirded out, but just kind of like, Oh, that wasn't what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as much as a culture, culture shock, it it was for me to be somewhere as a culture shock for them to see us, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So that was, uh, it's really that was pretty funny, right? No, it's really it's really cool because I think that you know not only is it incredibly important for uh, you know representation across you know different uh, pop culture music scenes and whatever, it, it, it just it, it, it frankly it's less boring, you know, when it's like oh there's different people yeah. on stage and you know here's men and women and everything else like it just opens up people's experiences, especially because of how you know, uh, politically aware, you know, punk and hardcore has always been, and, you know, clearly more progressive. Um, so it's, but it's just cool that you were able to, like you said, not feel an obligation, but be like, oh yeah, like we're going to, you know, wave our flag with pride because we're stoked on who we are and we're glad you're here. Yeah. That was definitely how we felt about it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was super, it was super cool to see, to see that experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, Vice versa, from from audience and from us, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so y- you putting on shows, like you know, you were kind of used to the sort of business side of music, as it were, as far as like you know, okay, I promised this band a hundred dollars, so I'm going to pay them a hundred dollars from the door or whatever. Um, you know, as Zabalba started to you know become more of a you know a business, as far as like you said, you know, getting offers to tour and all of this stuff. Um, was it something that you, I guess, felt uh, prepared for because you were booking these shows and kind of knew how to do that? Or was that something that you were just like, well, you know, I guess I'll do this. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily like the business side of mu- of music, but I'll do this. You see, for, for that was kind of hard for me because I, I saw, I saw, I saw both sides of the token in the sense that like, I understood what it takes to book a show and you know how sometimes, you know, there just isn't enough people. And I also understood being in a band. I'm like, fuck, I need X amount to make it to the next city, you know? So for me, that was a very difficult, you know, progression in the band where we actually started doing touring and taking it serious. Because around that time, you know, when we first started as a band, no one had booking agents. That shit didn't exist, you know? Right. Um, so, so when we got to the, you know, 
the later years where booking, where playing and touring was a was a a very prominent thing, you know, I had to actually take it serious and be like, oh fuck, I can't just go play a show and be like, yeah man, just pay me whatever. You know, I couldn't have that outlook. Right. Yeah, I couldn't have I couldn't have that outlook. You know, so it was hard for me to be someone that books shows and also be like, hey man, I have to get paid this much. So you know when we first started playing and booking our own shows and touring, I did have that attitude. I did. I was like, you know, like I understand just, you know, pay me what you can and we'll keep doing. And we were totally happy and fine with it, you know, but, um, it got to a point where we became so busy that I had to actually, you know, actually take it serious in the sense that like, okay, this is the well being of us just making it to the next show. And we actually got a booking agent and, um, um, at that time, uh, it was our friend Bailey, who, you know, his approach to it was, I was like, hey, man, like, I don't, I'm not a band. I don't want to fucking force people's hands to pay us all this money. That's actually ridiculous. But obviously, you, it, it's not hard to tell, you know, like the numbers, like, hey, there's 300 kids at fucking $10, you know, $3,000. How much does a companion cost? Then, you know what? Let's do the math and, get, and ask for reasonable guarantees of something that's within reason you know that's appropriate to the venue and appropriate to the place we're playing you know yeah um so, so he understand my my feelings of how i wanted to approach that just because i didn't want to be a band that were just demanding stuff that were unreasonable because the amount of times that i've 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 been on that side of things where i get a band that like no one's ever fucking heard of. And they're like, oh, I want fucking $3,000. I'm like, are you high? <laughs> right. You know? uh, no, you're not even worth like a third of that, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I didn't want to come off of that band. So for me, it was really hard to like get into that side of the business side of the band and, you know, actually have a fucking booking agent to do that for us. Thankfully, us as a band, we were never, we never did it for the money. And we, we had a booking agent that understood that like, yo, do not go into these places and demand crazy shit that's unreasonable because I know what that feels like. And a lot of these times where people booking these shows are kids, are people like me at my age when I was young that was just like eager to do it, you know? Right. You, know, you don't not, do it as a full-time you know, job. You put, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when, you, when, you, when you're booking hardcore and punk bands, it's not, you know, it's not your, it's not Golden Boy. It's not Live Nation. It's a fucking dude or some kid that just wants to help you out. Right. It's Nate. Yeah, it's Nate, so Nate, I, Nate from Pomona putting on your show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we we had a, we had a good understanding and uh, a good agent that that you know understood that. And um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it worked out for us. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we could have made more money. Maybe we couldn't have. I don't know. But whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I think because you were coming at it from the perspective of, hey, I, I've like you said, I've been on the other side of it. I don't want to seem like an unreasonable person. Like I want this to I- exist. Like yeah, you, the idea of being like, hey, we're going to demand thirty five hundred dollars. This kid does one show, loses his butt, and then all of a sudden is like, I'm never going to do another show again because I can't because Zabalba asked for thirty five hundred dollars or whatever. You know, it's like you don't want to be that yeah. person. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, it, and it's sad to say that that's, and you know, that's happened to people around the country where like some some tour package wanted some ridiculous money and they just lost all this money and just never wanted to book a show again. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a sad thing. 
Um, and so, you know, as Zabalba kept going on, and like you said, you, you know, you never went back to school, and you know, you've uh, you know transitioned from your uh, you know idea of touring full time in a band to you know production life, and then you know obviously uh, you know touring with you know EDM musicians and having um, you know that side of the business open up to you. Um, what I guess what kind of drew you to that? Because, you know, clearly you still obviously work with music, so I understand that. But, you know, what kind of drew you to the the production side of things uh, beyond just having that previous experience of putting on shows? Um, I think it drew me just because I got really good at it and I really enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed the final product of watching a live, a live band. Um, you know, obviously booking shows and going from venue to venue and, you know, booking hardcore shows, you kind of have to learn a little bit of everything, you know, whether it be, you know, doing sound, doing lights, setting up stages, doing the contracts. We, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to learn every, a little bit of everything. And that evolved into me, you know, starting to run venues, be production manager for venues. And, um, I got, yeah, I got really, I got good at it and I, I very much enjoyed my job. I, I actually love it, you know, because you go to a show and, you know, you load in at 10 a.m. and, you know, work all day to watch an hour set. But that one hour set of watching a band was the coolest thing in the world to me. Um, and that, yeah, that kind of just evolved into me getting involved with other types of music. I think nowadays I mainly work with EDM music and it's, to me, the level of production and stuff that goes into not just the music, but the staging, the lighting, the video, all this, you know, all these aspects of, of doing a live concert. It's so much work and so much stuff just for such a little amount of time. But that little amount of time is so rewarding to me that that's what kept me involved. And, you know, and that's what I love about, you know, still working in music, you know, is that is that, you know, at the end of the day, you do it for the love of the music, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and the fact that, like, you know, that may, you know, your love for a certain style of music shouldn't prevent you from invalidating the experiences of people who, um, you know, like a different style of music. Like, you still, you know, you going to, you know, whatever, a Calvin Harris show or whatever uh, is not, you know, on a different scale, it's much different than, you know, 200 people at the SOS, you know, project or whatever, but like, it's still the same notion of like people showing up to a thing to watch a thing happen. Yeah. And so it's cool. It's cool. It's it's cool because, you know, some people just get super elitist about the way that it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, that style of music is trash and there's no validity to it. And it's like, well, that's your own personal opinion. Yeah, and it's crazy. You know, I started, it's crazy. I work full time in EDM music and, you know, production management for venues. Um, I'm not a fan of EDM music. It's not, it's not really like my cup of tea. But, but what I did fall in love with that portion of music is that amount of work that goes into doing these live events. And now I'm such a nerd about like production and lighting and building massive stages. I got so involved and like and eager and like excited to see the finishing product that it's like that's my joy in it. And even you know, even when it gets down to the music to that one point, it's like you know, even if it's not something that I grew up on or like you know, music that I like would generally listen to, 
I've grown to enjoy whatever the whatever the music is or band or rap or whatever it is. I've grown to enjoy and see what they do with their actual production. Sure. Um, obviously, some some do some do a lot more than others. But again, yeah, again, like you said, you know, going from like a ten thousand person event to like a hardcore show with two hundred kids, you know, you go you go watch a punk hardcore band. Fuck, kids are jumping off the walls. Kids are singing along. That's fucking exciting. You go to a ten thousand person room show, fucking lights are blowing. You know, fireworks. That's exciting too. You know, mm-hmm. I found to to find whatever level of you know music it is. There's there's you know there's always going to be a wow factor, something that I'm going to appreciate of appreciate of that of that type of music or that show or whatever it may be. You know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've definitely grown to, to enjoy it, you know, even if it's not my style of music. Right, right, right. Well, and I mean, you know, the, you could easily draw a straight line, obviously, to one of the most popular, you know, artists in EDM music was Steve Aoki. And like, you know, he's a hardcore kid. Like y- you, <laughs> like, yeah. and all he has done, you know, I mean, he's obviously put a lot of hard work into it, but he has just taken the mold of what he was doing in, you know, this machine kills and being like, Oh, this is, you know, yes. Like stage dives at an EDM show before he was doing it was a weird concept, but he's like, yeah, this is normal for me. And so, you know, taking similar, honestly, to what we were talking about at the very beginning, you taking these things outside of the walls of these hardcore shows and being able to, you know, directly impact a person's life by giving them a toy like that's powerful in the same way that what Steve Aoki has done is powerful because it's introducing people to something they never would have seen before. Yeah. It's, he, he's definitely, he's definitely took in, I think Steve Aoki and then, you know, that dude, uh, Skrillex. Uh, not real. Skrillex. <laughs> yeah. It was real name Stunny, but, uh, Skrillex, yes. um, yeah, yeah. What, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Cause like they're obviously they have this, like, background of music where it's completely not involved with EDM, but this background of like, you know, hardcore punk or whatever alternative music they're involved in touring and the aggressiveness that they took from that to, you know, a large scale stage. It's so cool to see that. And it's also there. Those dudes travel and tour and play so many shows that it's it's fucking unhealthy to be honest. It's it's insane. But that that ethic of just like fuck, we gotta do, we gotta write, you gotta tour, you gotta write, you gotta tour. And uh it's pretty cool to see that from, you know, an outside perspective that like cool, they you know, like coming you know, not being the same person but coming from the same kind of background, be like, Yeah, you know, I was that's how I felt when we were you know, when my band was younger. Fuck let's tour, tour, keep going, keep going, you know? Yeah. And uh yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool to see the uh, the structure of things they've done over the years. Absolutely, yeah. And then plus, like to your you finding out that you have a talent and a proclivity for a thing, all because you have been you know doing it for years on a smaller level, and then now you're ready for the quote unquote big stage to be able to be like, oh wow, I just have a larger you know playground to play in now. Like, you know, no hardcore band is going to put, you know, fire in a 150, you know, capacity venue. It's like, oh, now I can like do this fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, really Definitely. cool. Definitely. Um, 
Well, Nate, thank you so much, dude. Honestly, I really appreciate you, you know, being so open and walking me through all this stuff. Cause, uh, yeah, you know, you've led a, uh, led an interesting life and I appreciate you sharing it with me. Yeah, no worries, man. Thanks for the call. Oh boy. Wasn't, wasn't that a great chat? I just, uh, like I said, Nate kind of warms, not kind of, Nate warms my heart. I just really, really enjoy who he is as a person and what he tries to bring to the uh, hardcore and punk community and making sure that, uh, you know, people of all shapes and sizes are not only properly represented, but uh, taken care of and bringing the messaging of what we have in this awesome hardcore DIY scene out into the real world. So I just love that when you see the action put forth on that. So thank you very much, Nate, for coming on the show. And next week, I've got a great chat. Another one, of course, week after week, just keep coming at you. This one is with Rob Fish, who uh, plays or played in bands like Resurrection and 108, and currently plays in a project called uh, Every Scar Has a Story. Recently just put out an EP on Equal Vision, and uh, yeah, I was very excited to have him on because uh, his his bands were very formative in my uh, upbringing in regards to punk and hardcore, and 108 was just like a, uh, I don't know, a revelation to me <laughs> in regards to understanding the collision of uh, philosophy, aggression, music, all of it. It's just so good. So anyways, that's what we got next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody.